Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, some people really feel like they were destined to be the savior of a particular person or group, event or project. They, they believe that that person or that project or that event will not survive without them. It's actually called a Messiah complex. Sometimes it's associated with the psychological disorder called schizophrenia, when people have delusions about their own importance, delusions of grandeur. Many people struggle with this complex. You look it up, actually a lot of pastors struggle with this. And although it is clear that, that none of us would want to have a Messiah complex, technically speaking, we do confess in Lord's Day 12 that we are Messiahs. You see, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word that means anointed one. And 1 John chapter 2 tells us that we are anointed we also understand then in a sense that we are, are Christ because the Greek word Christ also means anointed one. However, already in the New Testament, the church has chosen to use the word Christian to keep it very clear that we cannot be anyone's Messiah and Savior. And we are only anointed because we share in the Christ's anointing. We don't have a Messiah complex. Lord's Day 12 isn't reflecting a Messiah complex. But we do confess that we share in the anointing of Jesus, the head of the church, who in Hebrew is called the Messiah and who in Greek is called the Christ. And you could see that explanation when you walked in today on the wall, John 1, verse 41. When Christians go out and they show love to the world, they don't think that they themselves can save others, but they point them to the redemption that they have in the Christ, in Jesus, their head. And I preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ under this theme. When your head gets anointed, you change. We'll see Messiah Jehu, Christ Jesus an anointed church. When God decides to anoint someone, that will change a person. Look at Jehu. That's why we read that passage. 14 years before, as a member of King Ahab's bodyguard, he had seen Naboth and his sons get killed over that vineyard that King Ahab had wanted. And now, while the kings of Israel, Joram and Judah, were at a city named Jezreel, recuperating from battle wounds inflicted on them by the Syrians, Jehu is left in charge of the army in another city called Ramoth-Gilead. And so he's standing there, and he's together with the other commanders of the army, and all of a sudden, a young man comes in and asks to talk to him. Jehu's life would never be the same. 
He went into the inner chamber of the house as a commander. He returned to the council as a king. What happened in the house? Well, Jehu's head was anointed. The young man poured oil on his head. And so Jehu became a Messiah. He became an anointed one. When we look at what happened to Jehu, we can learn many things about the form and the significance of anointing in the Bible. The first thing that we see and that is very clear is that God himself decides who should be anointed, who should receive that anointing. In the case of Jehu, you have to go many years before, you can look at it, 1 Kings 19 verse 18, when the Lord had told his prophet Elijah to go and anoint Jehu as the next king. Well, this mandate was passed on to the next prophet. And so Elisha, now guided by special revelation, was able to tell his servant exactly what to do. Go to the inner chamber, he even says, and anoint Jehu. When Jehu saw the servant of the prophet, he could know that it was God's will that he should be the next king. The unique choice of the Lord was further illustrated by the oil that was in the flask that Elisha gave to his servant and his servant poured on Jehu's head. When you look at Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 33, there's quite a description about this anointing oil, Exodus 30. And you can see that the ingredients that the, perfu the perfumer used to make this, this anointing oil, they're very special. They were very expensive ingredients. And the Lord was, was making a point that this anointing oil was to be unique. And it was even called holy oil. It was reserved only for anointing the things and the people that God told them to pour it upon. It was not to be used on ordinary bodies. That's what it says in Exodus 30. Don't use it on ordinary people. It was not to be used on outsiders. If anyone played around with that oil to make something similar, that person was to be cut off from the people, exiled, killed. The Lord explains that the oil is so special because it was his way of showing what things on earth would be set aside for special service in his kingdom. Whether they were things in the tabernacle or priests like Aaron and his sons or prophets or kings, the anointing oil showed everybody that God was reaching down into earth and he was reserving that item or that person for his own personal use. He consecrated these things and the oil made them holy. That's a quotation from Exodus 30. The oil made them holy. Everybody in Israel and Judah knew that when someone was anointed with the holy oil, God was claiming that person for himself, whether he be a prophet or a priest or a king, and that person had a job to do. And so we go back to 2 Kings 9. The commanders of the army in that council in the outer room or patio, 
they would have seen Jehu and the young man, they walk into the inner chamber together. And after a few moments, they would have seen the door open and the young man, maybe with his garment still tied up, just running away, fleeing away. And the text helps us to imagine these, these big commanders looking, looking up when they see Jehu coming out. Maybe they're laughing. What, what, what happened? Is all well? What, why did this mad fellow come to you? And then Jehu explains. And look at the change that comes over these commanders when he says what the young man had said. Look at the change. He said, thus says the Lord, I anoint Messiah. I anoint, that's the word Messiah, you king over Israel. And look at what happens. In haste, they take off their garments and they put it on the bare steps. The bare steps were not worthy of one anointed by God. And immediately they blew the trumpet. They didn't hesitate they knew what it meant when God himself set a man apart. No one would question the holy anointing oil. It was the finger of God. And to honor God, one must not touch God's anointed ones and do his prophets no harm. Psalm 105, verse 15. They knew right away that it was special. And we asked, did, did Jehu's anointing also remind the commanders of the promise of the Messiah that God had spoken to David? Although they could know that Jehu's non-Davidic lineage would, would make him serve a different function in God's plan, did his divine anointing make them long for the anointed son of David? The one that Hannah had prayed about in second, uh, 1 Samuel 2, verse 10. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 51, God, David had sung the words of prophecy. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That's the, the promise that is in their, in their hearts and in their heads or could have been in their hearts and heads that time. Did they understand that Jehu had been appointed and anointed by God to prepare the way for the Messiah and the Christ? You see that in our second point. The whole Old Testament reveals Jesus Christ to us. When we read about the young prophet scampering away from the newly anointed king, Jehu was standing on the cloaks on top of the steps with the trumpet blaring. God is revealing to us how he was preparing the world for the coming of his son, Jesus the Christ. The holy anointing oil used for prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament was a symbol of the Holy Spirit that God gave to these men so that they would be able to carry out their task. You can see why the oil was so sacred in the Old Testament. No one can take the place of the Holy Spirit. The church will accept no substitutes. No one pretending to be God, pointing to somebody and saying that that person is a servant. Jesus would receive this Holy Spirit as he was coming up out of the Jordan River 
where he had been baptized by John. They could see it coming down on him. You, you know what it looked like, right? The children remember it looks like a dove. It was an anointing that had to do with his office and his work. He went into the water as Jesus, our Savior, and he came up out of the water as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. John saw and testified. We read about that in John 1, verses 29 to 34. He, he saw and he testified that he saw the Holy Spirit. The voice of God was heard pro pointing or proclaiming, indicating Jesus Christ as the Son in whom he is well pleased. In the same way that God had, had pointed at Jehu at one time, and so it was clear that Jesus Christ was no imposter, but God himself ordained him and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And that's what the, the church was singing about already in the Old Testament in Psalm 45 and verse 7. And we know that they were singing about Jesus because in Hebrews 1 verse 9, the Holy Spirit reveals that they were that psalm points to Jesus Christ. And, and after the service today, we can sing that same psalm. In Psalm 45, verse 7, says, Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. Cassia is a, something that comes from the cinnamon plant, from the dried leaves. And the ceremony of the anointing revealed in the Old Testament and used to set Jehu apart was the same ceremony that God used to tell the world that his son Jesus was the one that he appointed and he anointed to help everyone who believed in him. But although the form of Jesus' anointing was similar and the meaning the same, the person and the work of Jesus Christ was far superior and far more effective for the salvation of all who believe in him. And that's the good news that we love, that we proclaim today. Although we might call Jehu a Messiah because at one point in the history of redemption, the Lord used the holy anointing oil to set him apart as his king for a specific mission. At that time uh, in history, he was not nearly as important as the Christ and the Messiah. If we compare the line of promise to a long rope that connected Adam to Christ Jesus, then we can compare Jehu to a temporary worker who was hired, who was appointed with that anointing oil to, to, to protect that rope by killing off all this group of enemies who were threatening to take out uh, the Christ, the promise of the Christ. Christ Jesus was the goal for which God anointed Jehu. Jehu's anointing only means something for us because it shows us how closely God is accompanying his church and already in the Old Testament, bringing them to the Christ, his son. The anointing shows that God was involved, that he wanted us, he wants his people, the world, to know Christ, who is Jesus, who is our Savior. 
God was controlling everything and he was showing what he was controlling by using that special anointing oil. And so Jesus Christ was consecrated, set apart to be a servant of God. But unlike all those before him, he was anointed to be the combination of all the three major offices in the Old Testament. Not just a king like Jehu was, not just a prophet like Elisha, and not just a priest like Aaron and his sons, but all three together. And he became known as the Christ. It was a, you could say, a brand new office that, that combined all three. A unique office. He was the Messiah, the anointed one. When Jesus was anointed, he was anointed to be our chief prophet and teacher. He would be greater than Moses. He was promised already in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. He would be used by God to reveal the, the fullness of God's love to the world, not just in words, but with his very own life. He was anointed to be our only high priest. It's the perfect sacrifice for all who believe in him. He continually stands before the Father interceding for us. You can read that very beautifully in Hebrews 7, verse 26. Our Lord was anointed. He was given all authority in heaven and on earth. Our Lord Jesus anointed as that eternal king. And then we see that when the Lord Jesus came, he was not just one more ordinary step along the way pointing forward to another Messiah. For years there were men, and men who were pointing ahead to Christ. But when the Son of God came to earth, he fulfilled all the offices. He brought them all together. And now there is the Christ. And there is the Messiah, Christ Jesus. He stands in the center of all of history. He, he unites all of history. He is the promised Messiah that the church was longing for throughout the years. There would be none after him. And for us, that means that we either believe that the Son of God, Jesus, is the Christ, the one anointed to save us, and then we share in his anointing, or we will not be anointed in any way. There are no more Messiahs after Christ. And when we struggle with that Messiah complex, we remind ourselves of that there are no more Messiahs after Christ. If you think you are responsible to save yourself by your works, or if you think you're anointed, designated as a Messiah to someone around you to, to save them, it's time to stop and to embrace the gospel. The Messiah has come. He is our Lord Jesus Christ. God sent his son to be the one designated and destined to bring salvation. Believe in him and you will be saved. That is the gospel we proclaim. There is nothing to add to the truth that he proclaimed as prophet. There is no sacrifice that you need to, to make in order to gain access to the throne of God. He is the priest who, who offered it already. There is no fight 
that you need to be a part of that will gain you any more real estate in the kingdom of God, for he gained it all for us already. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the source of our joy and our comfort. And he is the head of his body, which is the church. And this has consequences for the church that believes in him. Because when your head gets anointed, you change. The gospel message is that the head of the church has been anointed and we share in Christ's anointing. His messiahship brings messianic significance to us. We are called Christians, Christians, because like oil that flows down from the head of Aaron onto his beard and onto his clothes, like the, the dew of Herm, uh, that came on the mountain, Hermon. Hermon isn't a name, it's a name of a mountain. And then came on down to the hills below it after. So when the head, Jesus, gets anointed, it flows down upon us, his body, and we change. And since Jesus, your head, got anointed, you will find that when you believe in him, you are a part of his work, his mission. You're called to do special things in this world. Special, you're set aside for special service in his kingdom because you are part of Christ's body. He gives you special protection like he gave the anointed ones in the Old Testament, special protection so that you can be useful instruments in his hand. That is why when you confess your faith in Jesus Christ, you are called Christians, Messiah's anointed ones. Hey, look at that. Kind of neat. We're like Jehu. You can see the similarities between your life and, and Jehu's life. God has seen you and has set you apart in Christ, in the hope of the anointed one. God has granted you the privilege of representing him on the earth. God has allowed you to share in his mission to bring salvation to all those who are his. And the catechism, in just beautiful words, it characterizes your role in this most beautiful mission. Christians confess his name. They present themselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness to him and they fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life and hereafter reign with him eternally over all creatures. You confess, you offer yourself as a sacrifice and you fight for your king. The task that Christ was anointed to complete was fulfilled when he ascended into heaven and now all the benefits of that work and that victory are, are communicated to you, are communicated to the world through you. You could say you are a living, moving, 
depository of eternal blessings in Christ. All in Christ. You can't save anyone. You don't have to try. But Christ did. When Jehu stood among his fellow commanders, everybody knew that he couldn't stay there standing on top of those coats for a long time. The anointing was a call to action. Jehu didn't sit around and pat himself on the shoulder for being a privileged part of, of God's community and God's plan. He mounted his chariot and he went and he got the job done. Jehu would become famous through the ages as, as the one who drove furiously. He fulfilled his mission with zeal. The Lord Jesus didn't stand around in the Jordan either. We read in Luke 4 verse 1, Matthew 4 verse 1, that the Spirit who had been given to him to fulfill his task led him into the wilderness to begin his official work, to, to get going, to preach the gospel, to face the temptations. And we also do not stand idly by. The kingdom is advancing. We're called as those who share in Christ's anointing to advance with that kingdom. Your anointing makes you different from unbelievers with a, with a call to action. The gospel is, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are connected to him like a branch is connected to the trunk. John, 1 John 2 verse 27 explains when you abide in him, you share in his anointing. When you share in his anointing, you abide in him. When he goes out to the world with the promise of redemption in him, you also confess his name in this joyous message to the world. When his sacrifice and his intercession is proclaimed with your words, you show that you trust in him completely when you offer your whole life as a sacrifice of thankfulness to him. That surrender of your life to the one in whom you share whom you are connected. When the Christ King stands up to defend his church from attacks, whether they be attacks from within or attacks from without, those attacks that threaten the blessings that he has obtained for us, all those who share in his mission are there as his body fighting with him. You are not the Messiah that can save the world but you are called to serve with the Messiah who has obtained salvation for all who believe in him. You are not the Christ, but you are a Christian, a Christian, and you have been anointed by the Holy One. That's a quotation of 1 John 2, verse 20. You have been anointed by the Holy One. And brothers and sisters, as we, we go from here, we go as the anointed body of our head, Jesus Christ. And that anointing changes us. May God equip you by his Holy Spirit so that you may embrace 
your blessings in Christ Jesus every day. Serve the advance of his kingdom by, by offering the, them to the world around you, this, this work of Christ, and that you may live eternally to the glory of his name. Amen.